heart stuff. So we've got to have the heart of a child, we've got to have the heart of Christ, heart of a brother, heart of a disciple and a learner. And all these hearts have different characteristics and different qualities. And most of the sermons we hear about today, they're preaching on these types of hearts. But God also calls us to have another type of heart. He calls us to have the heart of a warrior, which we don't hear as much about in today's culture, do we? I remember when I was a kid that we were called to be soldiers in the Lord's army. And we'd be in Bible class, vacation Bible school, and we'd make these little swords and we'd have these shields, you know, and we'd march around singing songs about being a soldier. But sadly, in our anti-Christian culture today, where people get offended by everything, it's not politically correct, is it, to be a Christian warrior. In fact, if we step out in our faith, we're kind of labeled a hate group. And uh, what's worse is a lot of Christians are backing down from that fight. So I just finished a book called Wild at Heart. It's Discovering the Secrets of a Man's Soul by John Eldridge. And in that book, he poses a question. He says, was Jesus Christ more like Mother Teresa or was Jesus Christ more like William Wallace? We got a picture up here. Okay. Hopefully everybody knows who Mother Teresa is. Larry Joe, you know who yeah. Mother Teresa is? Okay. So Mother Teresa, in case you don't know, she was like she was a missionary and a and a, a nun and she spent her life caring for the sick and the poor. Okay? And pretty much her name is synonymous with character. Mother Teresa, just like Einstein is with being smart, right? Now Wallace some of you may not know, William Wallace. So he was the uh, hero of the movie Braveheart. And he was a warrior poet who liberated Scotland or tried to liberate Scotland like in the 1300s. And, I mean, it's a true story and a good movie, but it's probably embellished some for Hollywood. But that's who William Wallace is. So let's get back to it. So what's our answer? Is Jesus Christ more like Mother Teresa or is Jesus Christ more like William Wallace? Well, this guy says it depends. And this is what he says. If you're a leper and an outcast who no one has ever touched because you are unclean and all you ever long for is just one kind word and Jesus reaches out and touches you, and of course Jesus Christ is Mother Teresa, tender mercy. Amen. Now, on the other hand, if you're one of the Pharisees and they're the self-appointed doctrine police right back in Jesus' day, then that's another story. And uh, the Pharisees were like the Scottish nobles in the movie Braveheart if you've seen it. They load heavy burdens on God's people, and they don't, lift, they don't lift a finger to help them. They twist God's laws in such a way that it's even a sin to heal somebody on the Sabbath. It's considered work. So we're going to look at, look at Luke uh, what is that, 10, 13, 10 through 14. So on the Sabbath, Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues, and a woman was there who had been crippled by spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not straighten up at all. When Jesus saw her, he called her forward and said to her, Woman, you, have, you are set free from your infirmity. And he put his hands on her, and immediately she straightened up and praised God. Indigent, because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, the synagogue leader said to the people, There are six days for work, so come and be healed on those days, not on the Sabbath. Right? What a weasel. So what did Jesus say? The Lord answered him, You hypocrites. Doesn't each of you on the Sabbath untie your donkey from the stall and lead it out to give it water? And should not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, who Satan has kept bound for 18 long years, be set free on the Sabbath day from, from what bound her? When he said this, all his opponents were humil humiliated, but the people were delighted with all the wonderful things he was doing. Right? 
So Jesus could have decided, all right, I'll just heal her on another day. He could have just healed her on a Monday or a Tuesday, but instead he chose to pick a fight. Okay? Different situation, different heart. You know, they were teaching that man was made for the Sabbath, when in actuality Christ reminded them that the Sabbath was made for man. Okay, so why? I'm a big why guy. Why do we need a warrior's heart? Why do we need a warrior's heart? So, listen, we're all under attack. Christian, non-Christian, man, woman, child, we're getting attacked. We're either going into a fight, we're in the middle of a fight, or we're coming out of a fight. And what do I mean by fight? I'm talking about a storm, conflict, drama, heartache, uh, battle, anything in your life that's causing despair, we're going to call it, is a fight, isn't it? And true Christianity, and notice I said true Christianity is a fight, and I'm not going to get into it today, but there's the prosperity gospel out there where, you know, you get saved and baptized, and God's a genie, and then once you get saved, then, you know, you live the life of luxury and peace. I'm just going to say this. God blesses you to bless other people. Right? God is not going to trust you with his kingdom unless he knows that you can handle it. Right? Now, true Christians are called to be soldiers, to put on the whole armor of God, just so we don't make Lisa's friend mad, we're going to put everything to the Bible. Okay? So let's look. So Timothy said, or 1 Timothy 1.18, Timothy, my son, here are my instructions for you based on the prophetic words spoken about you earlier. May they help you fight well in the Lord's battles. And another one. There we go. The one, the big famous one. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. And I have kept the faith. Amen. Okay, so why? Well, I still don't know why. So I'm just kind of giving you that we're going to build on this. So why? Why do we need a warrior's heart? All right. So each of us are a child of God. Amen? Made with the purpose of expanding God's kingdom each in our own way. And the enemy wants nothing more than to thwart God's plans and make us fail. He wants to distract us from what we're supposed to do, our assignment. And sometimes even keeping us from knowing what our assignment even is. Right? So God gave us each uh, our own set of gifts and talents to use for his glory to spread the gospel. And the devil wants nothing more than to take that away from you. you know? and, I hear, and I hear a lot of kids and even adults say, well, God didn't give me any special gifts and any special talents. You know? So how do you answer that? Well, here's what I say. Nobody comes to rob an empty house. Right? If I'm going out to steal from somebody. I'm not going to go out and rob a bag lady, am I? Just get me a shopping cart full of stuff. No, I'm going out here. I'm going to pick somebody a little bit better, right? The enemy is smart and he's not going to waste his time. If you're under attack, then the enemy knows that you're a threat. Okay? So if you're getting attacked, that's because he knows you're a threat. If you're not a Christian, he's attacking you to uh, distract you. Okay? And once you become a Christian, then that attack just gets a lot worse, doesn't it? Amen. And, uh, you know, that's something that they don't really talk about much today. But, I mean, that's the truth. You step out in faith and you, you get saved and uh, you're just more of a target, aren't you? Amen. All right. So, in order to fight, we have to know who we're fighting, okay? Now, there's no sense in punching things that you can't see. And Jody World, I broke it down into two parts here, okay? <laughs> you're fighting and you're suffering, okay? You fight because there's an enemy, and you suffer to learn to lean on God. 
Makes sense, huh? Okay, so if we're fighting the enemy, then who's our enemy? And now I've further broken it down into three parts. So we have got three foes. We got the devil, we got the world, and then we got the flesh. Okay? And these three foes never die. So as long as you're alive, you're getting attacked by these things. Okay? So let's start with the devil. Devil's pretty easy, right? Satan. He hates God and all who follow Jesus. And how do I know this? Well, let's look at 1 Peter 5, 8. Be alert and sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Right? So how do we know that's true, though? Well, who wrote that? Peter. Well, who's Peter? Well, Peter was one of Jesus' best friends, right? And he was one of the eyewitnesses to the, to the ministry of Jesus Christ. And I'm sure they're sitting around, and he would listen to stories of how Jesus talked about the devil tempting him, tempting him in the desert for 40 days, right? And he was also around when the devil made John the Baptist doubt if Jesus was the Messiah. Remember that story, right? That's how powerful this devil is. He made John the Baptist, who Jesus said was the greatest prophet who ever lived, and he was the guy, the man that baptized Jesus and watched the dove come down the spirit come down like a dove on Jesus, he made him doubt. So, I mean, he's a beast. He's a force, and you can't defeat him alone. So we got the devil. The next one we got is the world. Okay, number two, the world. And the definition, the world is the ways of society and culture that oppose the Lord. Okay, so when Adam rebelled against God, he basically took uh, sides with Satan, didn't he? And came under Satan's rule. So that's what happened. So the rulership of the world went from Adam's hands to Satan's hands. And if you're a Christian, then this world's not our home. Heaven's our home. You're just passing through. You are an enemy of the world if you're a Christian. It's like you never have home field advantage. You're always playing at the visitor stadium and they've got the referee to pay it off. <laughs> right? So, and here's the big thing about the world. The world wants you to trade the ultimate for the temporary. Okay, now what in the world does that mean? Well, that's saying the world says that going to that ball game is more important than that church function. The world says that new car is more important than that tithe to your church. Now, just to make this biblical, let's look at James 4.4. You adulterers, don't you realize that friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God? I say it again, if you want to be a friend of the world, you make yourself an enemy of God. Now, who wrote that? James. Who's James? Jesus' brother, right? So, hey, I mean, these are some pretty powerful people right huh? All right, so third one's tough, okay? The flesh. The flesh. Desires of the body. Flesh is our sin nature. We desire something because it's forbidden, okay? It's the part of us that is abandoned by God. Now, this is why Jesus was sweating blood in the Garden of Gethsemane. Now, I'm sure he's worried a little bit because he's getting ready to get crucified and beat. But he knows that when he takes on the sins of the world, that God will abandon him for a time. And that's why he was sweating blood in the Garden. Now, and I don't care who you are. I don't care who you are. The flesh has each of us in some form or fashion, doesn't it? Amen. Lust, gossip, pride, selfishness, rebellion, idolatry, worry, fear. <clears throat> and flesh is tough because the flesh is you, okay? And you can't escape you. So, I was listening. Anybody listen to Chuck Swindoll on the radio? 
Others I like Chuck Swindoll. I was listening to him and, and uh, this episode they had this 90 year old missionary that they were uh, honoring for his many years of service to the gospel and, and his countless service and uh, they had a little question and answer service for him and this uh, guy gets up and he says, sir, he said, when was it that you finally conquered lust? This dude's 90 years old, you know, and he had that little old man voice. He said, well, to be honest with you, buddy, it ain't happened yet. <laughs> so, I mean, right? well, at least he's truthful, right? Right? So, let's look at flesh with Galatians 6, 8, okay? Whoever sows to please the flesh, from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the spirit, from the spirit will reap eternal life. All right, we're just keeping it biblical here. We gotta, I'm just really checking myself, too. <laughs> Okay, so so we got the enemy, right? We got the devil, we got the world, and we got the flesh. All right, we already said these things never die. They're going to fight you forever. And then I broke it down to the suffering, okay? Next one's suffering. So what's suffering? So not all fights, storms, conflicts are meant to disrupt your life. Some are actually meant to help clear a path to get you where you need to be. So whereas the enemy never dies, suffering is more temporary. Suffering is God's way of maturing you. It's his way of getting you to trust him more. Okay? But why suffering? Why? You know, can't you pick something better than suffering? Well, listen. If we're going to be honest here, nothing gets our attention like pain and despair. Right? Now let's face it. If we're always content and happy, we're not going to do anything. Right? We've got to little be prodded along a little bit. So... Here's what it is. God wants to break our spirit of self-reliance. God created us with a purpose in mind so he knows a lot better than us what's going to make us happy. All right? Most of us think we suffer because of our circumstances. If our circumstances change, then we'd be able to act right. But here's the thing. If you base your happiness on your circumstances, you're never going to be happy. Now, what do I mean by that? Okay, well, if your bank account goes down... Your confidence goes down, right? If that relationship goes bad, your confidence goes down. If you're having trouble with your friends at school, your confidence is going to go down, right? Same with your health, same with your job and your status that you think you got. If you tie with your consequences, you're never going to be happy. God wants you so mature and stable that you can act right even when your circumstances are terrible. Okay? Now, and here's the thing. If you don't experience heartbreak, how can you trust God? If you don't have some adversity, how can we ever encourage others or build compassion? Huh? So, the best way to look at suffering, I'm going to give you a couple examples. Let me take a drink here at the bottom. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, let's look at a couple examples from suffering. All right. It's the year 2000. Okay. I'm in medical school. Life's miserable. I hate it. I'm locked in a room studying. Ashley and I are living in a one-room apartment, sleeping in a twin bed. And when I say one room, I mean we can. I can lay in bed and turn on the stove. That's how small it is. That's serious, huh? Right? Right. But one of the greatest things happened. One of the greatest things in my life happened on August 30th, 2000. Old Nate Brown was born. Okay, and he was awesome. He was two weeks late. He had a big old black eye. His head was all lopsided because he got stuck in the birth canal for like a week. You know? 
great day for me, and actually I don't know. So, all right, so great day, right? Next day, not so good. All right, the pediatrician that checked him pulled me out in the hallway and said, listen, the mate's got a really loud murmur, you know, it could be very serious, and he was in life order, you know? So I don't know for sure. The severity of it just yet, but probably be safe. You just don't tell anybody how severe I think it is and just call it a little murmur. Okay, I don't even know if I've told Ashley this. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> so, so I'm in medical school, right? So I'm in medical school, so that means I know just enough to be dangerous, right? So what do I do? I do what we all do. I Google it. Well, I didn't have Google, I didn't have a computer, but I go to the library look it up, and everything that I research and stuff is gloom and doom, right? I mean, in my mind, the worst thing's gonna happen, right? In my mind, oh, I'm thinking, all right, here, listen, I'm the dad now, I'm the father, I'm the doctor, you know, I just gotta, I gotta suck it up and be strong, you know? And uh, his cardiologist appointment went for like six weeks, you know, so I gotta keep this inside, I'm sitting there and I'm struggling, and I'm, you know, I'm, I'm hiding to go cry somewhere, and I'm praying, and I'm just, you're talking about six weeks of just, I mean, I can't tell anybody, you know, because I'm thinking, well, I better not. It's, it's my role now. It's just changing. You know, looking back, I was a kid, but, but to me, I said, well, it's time to grow up. You know, well, luckily, the appointment came. You know, we had to monitor Nathan some, but, but he's great, so he's in good shape, and it was just a blessing, but, uh, you know, that was tough. And I'll tell you that so we can fast forward. Fast forward to... When was Hucky born? December 30th, 2011. Yeah, so December 30th, 2011. So I get a call like in January. Adam and uh, Amber call me and say, uh, hey, we need you to look at our baby. He said, he's been having these red eyes and, and, and watery eyes. And, <coughs> and I said, okay. And I, I didn't know them real well. I knew who they were. But I didn't really know them like I know them now. I knew that baby had just had like hernia surgery, didn't he, after he was born. Yeah. So he'd already had hernia surgery, and I think I'm either Amber was just getting ready to get diagnosed with thyroid cancer or already has. I can't remember. But anyway, they brought him by, so we'll bring him by. He's probably got conjunctivitis or a little stopped-up tear duct. And then I took one look when they brought him in the office, and my heart sank. I said, oh, because, uh, you know, you rarely see that congenital glaucoma, but uh, once you've seen it once, I mean, you never forget it. So... Here I am, I gotta sit them down, and I gotta tell them the deal. And you know, and I watch their faces drop, and I can hear their heartbreaks, you know, their heartbreak. And uh, you know, it took me back to where I was, right? And uh, you know, I've seen that face, and I felt that pain. And uh, you know, Adam looked at me and said, what are we gonna do? I said, well, we're going to Cincinnati. He's, and he still laughs about this. He said, when? I said, go home, pack your bags. We're going right now. I said, I don't care. If we have to whip everybody in that place, we're going to get that baby seen within the next day or two. If I have to go with you, you know? And um, see, my suffering made me a better doctor, didn't it? Amen. That my suffering gave me something that they could never teach me in medical school, and that was compassion. Right? Yeah. And I say that to fast forward again to just a few months ago. Um, you know, our church is growing, we're getting people baptized, we're getting kids baptized, and we got Tylora gets baptized, and her son gets baptized, and Sarah Sands gets baptized. And what happens after that? Probably, I don't know, a couple weeks after after they get baptized, and it's great, you know, both of the kids get sick, and then Tylora comes down with a cancer. You know, you think, what in the world is going on? 
Well, just think about it. You got all that going on. Who is in charge of the youth ministry where the kids are here? Adam. Adam and Andrew, right? Who's one of the elders of the church? Adam. Who's been through all this stuff and is there to help them and pick up the pieces when they do? I mean, you think that's a coincidence? You know what? So, all right. So, let's switch to another little, this is my favorite, little biblical suffering, and then we can transition to kind of some warrior heart kind of stuff, okay? So, Apostle Paul, love him, huh? Let's give you a little background, just so we're just up to speed. So, Paul was really named Saul, right, of Tarsus, and Paul had it made, okay? He was a Pharisee. He studied under this guy named Gamaliel, which was the best teacher. He was a Greek-speaking Jew, a Roman you know, he was a tent maker. Uh, he persecuted. He was even persecuting the Christians and was probably there when uh, Stephen, the first martyr, got killed. He probably had something to do with it, right? So all we know, so here's what we know. We know Paul was, was all that. He was like one of the olden-day Kennedy clan, right? He had it made. So he was traveling to Damascus, and then he encounters Jesus, and then he turns, he gets converted into Christianity, and then he lives happily ever after, Right? Is that how it worked? No. No. Let's see what happened to Paul after he converted to Christianity. Uh, no, go to the next one then. Yeah, okay. So 2 Corinthians 11, 23, 25. Are they servants of Christ? I am out of my mind to talk like this. I am more. I have worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and day in the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I have been in danger from rivers and dangers from bandits and dangers from my fellow Jews and dangers from Gentiles and dangers in the city and dangers in the country and danger at sea and in danger from false believers. I have labored and toiled and I have gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face the daily pressure of my concern for all the churches. So, okay, he traded all his good life for that good life, huh? Right? And I love Paul. And this is my favorite Paul story right here. I heard John Hagee say this. After being beaten nine times and after being stoned and left for dead... He got up, walked back into the town that stoned him, and preached the rest of his sermon. Yeah. <laughs> How about that, huh? I want a, I want a heart like that. Don't you? Okay, so I'm going to read you this little love. This is from Tony Evans. This is kind of a little analogy of Christian life, okay? And it's going to kind of help you transition. So <clears throat> this is from Tony. I said, he said, I was once battling a cold and couldn't shake it. I called my doctor, told him my symptoms. And he told me I didn't have to come in. He would call me in a prescription. He would call in a prescription for me. He told me what medicine he was prescribing and how he wanted me to take it. So to benefit from this conversation, I had to believe that I was talking to the person I thought I was talking to because I couldn't see him. Right? Ours was just a brief talk over the phone, so I had to listen to and trust his voice. Then I had to respond when he told me how to fix my problem. Now I could have lain in bed and meditated. I could have believed him without leaving my bed, thinking about how good it was that I had a doctor who understood my problems and provided me with a solution. But all that lying around and thinking about the good words that the doctor shared with, uh, 
shared with me wouldn't make me any better. I may be get, it may give me warm fuzzies, but I'd still be sick as a dog. So I had things to do, right? I had to get up, get in my car, drive to Walgreens, say to the pharmacist, you have a prescription with my name on it. There was a lot of medicine in that pharmacy. I needed the one with my name on it. I needed something personally prescribed for me. The doctor had told me it was there, and because I believed his word, I acted on it. Taking this further, I could have just received the medicine, gazed at it, made sure that it looked acceptable to me, but I'd still feel miserable. The doctor's instructions were not for me to drive to Walgreens and get emotionally fixated on the look of the medicine. He told me to take it. By following the instructions, I allowed my faith in the doctor to match up with my works of obedience and begin to feel much better. All right. The reason I tell you that right there is because Christian warriors are not born and they are not made. They are created. Through trial and error, pain and suffering. Okay? And now in a second, I'm going to go over some fundamentals of how we get a warrior's heart. But no one can make you a Christian warrior. You know, it must be developed between you and God. Now, you think Apostle Paul started out like that, like that last story? I'm sure the first time that he stepped out in faith and got smacked down, and he, he's <laughs> doubting, right? I'm sure he questioned, what in the world am I doing? You know, but for a true Christian, the conviction is stronger than the urge to surrender. Okay, so this brings us what's the first step in becoming first fundamental, I guess, in to create yourself into a warrior to get a warrior's heart. The first step is you got to do something, right? You got to do something. First thing, you got to do something. God says you're either hot or you're cold or you're lukewarm. Now, what's hot mean? Hot means you're trying, and notice I say trying, to live in God's will, right? So we're going to church, we're uh, reading the Bible, we're praying, we're volunteering, we're doing the best we can to spread the word of God. That's hot. Okay, cold just means basically you're an atheist. You, know, you, don't, you don't believe anything, you don't go to church, you're just not a believer if you're, if you're, if you're cold, okay? That's cold. That's hot. Now, the worst disease, though, even worse than being cold, is the lukewarm. Okay? Now, remember, I'm talking to me, too. Here. I'm not preaching to everybody else. He, he put it on me, so he probably wanted me to learn more about this than anybody. So, the lukewarm, we're the ones. We go to church. We listen. And we go home. You know? Instead of standing on the promises, we're sitting on the premises. I heard that on a... I heard that somewhere. I don't know. So, so here. So how do we know that lukewarm is the worst? All right. Let's look. You got to look here? Yeah. So Revelation. So then, because you are lukewarm and neither hot or cold, I will vomit you out of my mouth. That's pretty, that's pretty harsh. Okay. That's probably that's the reason I said it's the worst. Because he's going to vomit you out of his mouth. So here's the thing. Try something for God. Even if you screw it up. Okay? If you think he's talking to you, just try it. If you screw it up, remember, warriors are created. you got to have some effort. Okay? You think that I want to be up here. <laughs> I mean, really. You think. I mean, I heard the boy. You know, the reason I'm up here is because I've been swallowed by that fish too many times. And like Jared said last week, when you get swallowed by that fish, it stinks in there. I hate it. You know, I'd rather do this than just no. And the other reason is, is I don't want to get 
heaven and Jesus thinking me to vomit. I mean, people do that enough already down here. I don't want it up there. Right? So, think about it this way. What would you do, you're a parent or a grandparent, okay? And your four-year-old one morning decides that they're going to make you breakfast while you're sleeping, okay? They wake you up with a plate of runny eggs and there's broken eggshells everywhere and there's burnt toast and there's frozen pancakes and you're looking and they look at you with that little face and they say, I love you, you know? I mean, what do you do? You know, what do you do? You know, first thing, you're probably going to try to find something edible, right, so you don't hurt their feelings and then you're going to hug them and then you're going to... And then you're going to kiss them and give them a little bit of affection. But then you're going to use that as a teaching moment, aren't you? You're going to kind of show them, hey, this is the right way to do things. You're probably not mature enough yet to be using the oven and the stove. Or, you know? So you kind of, you're, going to kind of, you're going to kind of teach them. But the best thing you're going to do for them is you're going to clean up their mess. Right? You're going to clean up the mess they made in that kitchen. Now, as you think, if you're trying and failing to please God... He's going to clean your mess up. Amen. Right? Just like, like Adam, Adam and Jared are going to be able to edit this video. You know? <laughs> right? They're going to clean my mess up. Alright, so the so next fundamental is we got to have a cause. So the first one was we got to do something. Right? If you want a warrior's heart, you got to do something. The next step is we got to have a cause. Right? Every warrior understands the cause. Now, what's the cause? Cause is grounds for justification of a conflict. Okay? So you remember when David, he went up to the battlefield. His dad told him to go up there and take some food to his brothers and check on his brothers. And there he sees the giant of the man Goliath defying the armies of Israel. And then David volunteers, doesn't he, to fight this giant. And immediately he comes under scrutiny from his brother. And David responds in 1 Samuel 17, 29. What have I done now? Is there not a cause? Alright? So David understands the grounds and justification of someone to step up and do the fighting. Right? And we all have the same cause given by Jesus before he ascended to heaven, don't we? And, uh, you know, Matthew 28, 19, 20. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. So here's the thing. Jesus made us all different, right? Each with our own set of skills and talents to reach different people. We reach different people, but we have the same ultimate goal, don't we? Now, look. Look at all our different causes or ministries here in the church. I mean, this is just our church. We've got Do For One. We've got Love Covered. My New Beginnings, the Westcare Aftercare Program, the Battle Line, which is the Boxing Gym, the Closet, Faith Life Ministries, the Mix, Praise and Worship, New Beginnings. Right? I mean, that's a, that's a lot of causes we've got. Isn't it? You know? We're the same, but different. Right? We're all making up the body of Christ. Now, I look at that, and I say, you know what? There's a good chance that I'm not going to be making any love covers. Okay? <laughs> and there's actually a better chance that probably Ruby is not going to be teaching boxing lessons over the gym. Right? But we're all reaching different people. Am I right? Right? And, and here's the thing. If you don't see a cause that fits your talents or what you can do, well, let's make one. 
You know, if they're goofy enough to let me put in a boxing gym, well then I'd say anything's on the table. <laughs> you know, so we can create one. That whole that whole do for one thing, you know, the do for one, you know, that started, and I don't know who it was, but somebody had the idea that they wanted to help some people. Okay, and they brought it to them, and the result was over 50 people got and families got help before the end of the year. Amen. You know, maybe because one person just kind of stood up and said, you know what, we need to do this, and look what happened. So, all right. So let's go to the next fundamental. So we got, what was it? We got to do something. We got to have a cause. We got plenty of causes. You can make one. The next one is how to, how do we fight? Okay. And, you know, Ephesians tells us to put on the whole arm of God. And Pastor Jared spent two years in Ephesians. So, you know, so I've got had enough of Ephesians. Okay. So I'm going to give you the Jody Brown version of the Ephesians and the, and the Ephesians 6 and the 5. So you got that up there? So, so I'm going to read this and then I'll give you the So finally be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's scheme. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of the dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. After you've done everything to stand, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist and the breastplate of righteousness in place and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith which, with which you can distinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Is that it? Okay. So... Here's my takeaway from it, okay? Okay, most everything that he gives you to fight with is for your protection, right? We got a helmet, we got a breastplate, we got a, we got a, you know, the, the belt, all that's for protection. And our sword, and we got a sword, and the sword is our only offensive weapon that we have, right? And the sword is the Holy Scripture. And also, I noticed that we don't have anything to cover our back. Okay? Now, why is that? So, why is nothing to cover your back? So, if you're born again, then Jesus is your father. Right? And, if, and Jesus is the lion of the tribe of Judah. So, if Jesus is your father, and he's a lion, well, that makes you a lion, doesn't it? And lions are the king of the jungle, and they don't retreat. They don't tuck tail and run. Okay? Christians face the enemy head on. And that's why we have nothing to cover our backside. All right? Now, let's look at the sword. The sword is your only offense, and your sword is the Holy Scripture. Right? Now, the devil, the Scripture is the devil's kryptonite. I mean, he's allergic to it. And we know this because Jesus used the sword of Scripture to resist the devil in the wilderness. Each response to the devil was, for it is written. Right? And here's the thing. You have to memorize Scripture to have it with you. Oh my gosh, why do I got to have it with me? Because you never know when you're going to be under attack, do you? You never know. You don't know when, that, when something comes, when that anxiety comes or that worry comes. You've got to be ready to zap it right there. So you have to memorize it. And hey, luckily for us, we have the greatest swordsman I've ever seen in our church. And give me an amen if you agree. Roy Spears. Amen. Uh, oh yeah. He's like one of the three musketeers. You know? Not the candy bar layer, Joe. Sword people. Okay. So, I love it because when Roy gets up and starts to pray or give a testimony, the whole air in the church gets different. You ever notice? 
I mean, you can see, you can, you can actually feel the uh, devil and his little demons running away when Roy gets up. And the big thing, and the great thing I love about Roy is that he can quote the Bible verses. I mean, he's up and he bang, 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 quoting those Bible verses. And right after he gets done, what does he do? He gives a big glory. Right? Ain't that awesome? And you know, that glory is like Roy spiking a football after he's just scored a touchdown. Isn't it? I mean, Roy, he's so good that he's taunting the devil after he gets done. I mean, I love him. And Roy, get ready because you're going to close us out in prayers. So sharpen that sword, okay? All right. But you've got to practice, you have to practice memorizing just like you practice any other skill. And, and if you don't know how to get started, you know, most of the Bibles, they've got a section that has different troubles, and they've got, like, different emotions, and then they've got, like, a little corresponding verse, you know, if you're worried or anxious, and it says, use this. And that's what you do, you know, you memorize that verse, and then when it comes, you just say it over and over until it leaves, and then... You know, it works, but you got to practice. you got to take, you know, it just it just doesn't come like that. you gotta, you got to be like Roy. Forget be like Mike. Be like Roy. <laughs> All right, so our last fundamental, and I'm going to get out of here. I don't know what time it is. It's really late. Okay, we don't care. That's good. Okay, so we got to do something, right? you got to have a cause. you got to fight. And the last fundamental to a warrior's heart is we got to make a commitment. Right? we got to make a commitment. And now, what's a commitment? Is a person's willingness to bind and pledge himself to fight to the end for a cause. Okay? You, <clears throat> and here's the thing. You have to commit to God because you can't win this battle by yourself. Okay? Now, here's the thing. When an individual enlists in the armed services, he makes a pledge to fight, and he also gets to use all the resources that the military has, doesn't he? So it's not just him. He uses the whole military. And here's the thing. God has given us all the resources we need. He's given us all the tools and the strength we need to be a Christian warrior. It's already in us. It's already in us. But we have to activate it. Okay? Now, what does that mean? Well, when you open a bank account, right, you put all your treasures into one place. Then the bank gives you a card to access what's yours, right? But before you can utilize what's yours, you've got to activate your card. Make sense, right? And it's simple. It's usually a phone call or a click of a button on your computer. But you have to physically make an effort to access all you have, okay? If you want to be a Christian warrior, you've got to let God know, okay? You have to activate that Holy Spirit. Now, it's easier than activating the bank card. But it takes a lot of courage to step out and make that leap, right? Now, I mean, take-home message. <clears throat> we're going to fight the rest of our life here on earth regardless if we're a Christian or a non-Christian. God didn't design us to fight alone. In fact, it is impossible to win this fight without it. Amen. You know? And here, though, here's this fuller alert, okay? God has already won it. You know, if you fight on God's team, you are guaranteed the victory. Amen. And how do I know that? Because I read ahead to the end of the book. <laughs> now, remember, it's a lot easier to say yes than to run. So what we're going to do, Adam's going to get us a song ready. And after that, we'll see if there's any announcements. And then our swordsman, Roy, is going to pray us out of there. And uh, <clears throat> as the song's playing, if anybody wants to come up and pray or... You know, altar is always open up here. Amen.